Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedekin. Let's uh, just start out by thanking our lovely patrons for the past week. Those are the people who have donated over on patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. If you're interested in having lots of bonus content to listen to, that is the place to go. And this week we had Jessica, Elizabeth, Lauren, Chris, Brittany, Aaron, Alex, Sarah, another Sarah, Sarah with S-A-R-A, without the H. We got one with the H and without the H. So hey, guys. Kelly, Alexandra, Casey, Stephanie, Michelle, Bree, Capri, Jenny, Nancy, Chandler, Aaron, Yvonne, and Julia. Thanks, guys. Thank you guys so much. Really appreciate it. Okay, Desi. This week, we are going to be talking about another Los Angeles 1970s serial killer. He is the third in the trilogy of freeway killers. Okay. Now, we have already done episodes on the other two freeway killers that were happening in Los Angeles in the 70s. That was William Bonin. He, we did him like over a year and a half ago, I feel like, and Randy Kraft. Right. Now, this guy's name is Patrick Kearney, and he was also, like, I mean, all of these, like, killings were happening, like, overlapping each other, and, like, in, like, all across L.A. County. So when police were investigating any of these crimes, it was like, okay, is this, like, this freeway killer or that freeway killer? Is this the same guy? Like... They were all just like, oh, it's another freeway killer. Because right. basically they would they recall that because they would dump their victims off the side of highways in various parts of Los Angeles and sometimes Orange County, Riverside County, just like all along the Southern California areas. Okay. So let's talk about Patrick Kearney's early life. Patrick Kearney was born in Los Angeles on September 24th, 1939 to George and Eunice Kearney. His dad was a police officer and his mother was a stay-at-home mom. Patrick was the oldest of three boys. Now, Patrick was not popular growing up. He was subjected to some pretty cruel taunting by his peers. Specifically, they would call him a queer and a fag and a girly man. And obviously, this was like, you know... Kids are kids right. are assholes. Yeah. And Patrick was miserable going to school because of this. But Patrick so had this really unhealthy rage burning inside of him. Oh. Like, I mean, a lot of kids are bullied. And right. I was bullied. And but Patrick went straight to I'm gonna fucking kill someone. Really? At a young age. Or- yes. Mm-hmm. Like he had, it was like that rage had been there since he was a little child. Right. And he decided that one day he was going to get revenge on the kids who made his life so miserable. When he was 13, Patrick's dad taught him how to hunt. Now, Patrick fantasized about shooting his classmates when they would go hunting together. He's like, oh, well, now I know how to use a gun. Right. And this is how I'm going to do it. And it was around this time that Patrick fucked the family dog. Wow. I know. That's like a record scratch moment. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I don't have any more information on that, but I just had to put that Did in there. Did the parents know? I don't think so. Uh-huh. But I felt like that was an important piece of information. Yeah, that's next level like, yeah. sociopath or something totally. awful, psychopath. Right. When Patrick Kearney's dad quit his job uh, working for the LAPD, they decided to pack up and move the family to Arizona, where Patrick would finish out school. And... He did not do any better there socially. He was bullied in Arizona, just like he was in Los Angeles. He was good in school. He actually apparently had 180 IQ, so he was pretty smart. He also was like fluent in a few different languages. Not that it necessarily matters, but what was the reason for his bullying? Was he... Well, he like was nerdy or Well, I yeah, he was like a he was like nerdier and he was like scrawny, so they right. picked on him for being scrawny and just kids pick on kids for whatever right. reason. They single out a target. Right. So it's just typical spooling. There was nothing specific about him that made it 
excessive. Yeah. I mean, I think the, I think the thing they latched onto was that he was this like quiet, antisocial kind of kid. Right. That also was scrawnier than the other kids. Okay. And was like defenseless. Yeah. Appearing defenseless. Right. So they picked on him a lot. Yeah. Patrick graduated from high school in 1958, and he joined the Air Force where he was stationed in Texas. While in the Air Force, he met a man named David Hill, a high school dropout who had just been discharged from the Army for being gay, which at the time was considered a mental disorder. So you could be discharged from the Army for that. That's like the guy Klinger, whatever, in uh, MASH, who was trying to get kicked out of the Army by dressing in women's clothes. I didn't watch MASH, Desi. I turned it off as I soon as it came Mash. on. We, this is a well-known fact because I don't like brown shows, like shows that are dreary and brown from that period, like like kind of olive green and brown. Yeah. I hate those kind of shows. <laughs> but I knew enough about MASH. Right. Like I've seen it and I know that that character is his famous for wearing like whatever, being in drag during the show because he wanted to get kicked out of the army. Right. But they weren't like falling for it. <laughs> yeah. So funny. <laughs> uh, so... Dave, this guy that just got kicked out of the army for being gay, he was married to a woman, but he was very attracted to Patrick Kearney. And Patrick was into him. So was Patrick gay? Patrick was gay. Okay. Yes. So was that part of the bullying or they just were picking up on something? Well, they, I guess. I mean, that's a typical go-to back then. It was a go- to call I, someone gay or a guy gay. Like, yeah, that's like, a, I mean, that's like a typical, like, we're going to bully you, so we're going to be, like, really homophobic about it. Right. But then he happens to be he gay. He happens so to be gay. So that probably made it even worse, because he was probably pe- petrified that the, he'd be found, found out. Right? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. And he was definitely had a lot of self-loathing about it, and... All three of the three freeway killers were, were, are, were they all gay? Randy Kraft was, but and William Bonin wasn't. William Bonin, I think he was bisexual, and he had was William Bonin the one with the sidekicks, like the helpers. Yes, yeah, okay. he had the helpers. Got it. So, and Randy Kraft uh, was also in a relationship, right, right? During this, like he had a boyfriend. So, the two began an affair with each other, even though Dave was still married. But they begin this affair, and in 1960, Patrick was honorably discharged from the army. And in 1961, he packed up and moved back to California. And Dave Hill came with him, and together they lived in Long Beach. But just one year later, Dave Hill changed his mind about his new life in LA with Patrick Kearney, and he moved back to Texas to try and make it work with his wife again. And Patrick was obviously crushed. Yeah. Now, something you got to know about Patrick, though, is he does not handle any kind of rejection well (laughs) at all. Yeah. So this set him off, and he became very, very angry about this. Now, Patrick ended up taking out his rage as soon as Dave left. He took out his rage on a 19-year-old man that he picked up out on his motorcycle. Patrick drove him to a deserted area in Indio, California, and shot him in the head behind the ear, which was a technique for killing that his father had taught him while they were hunting. Like, this is where you shoot. You shoot the pig behind the ear. Okay. So that's how he shot this guy. Patrick then had sex with the corpse. Wait. Oh, so he killed him. He killed him. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. When you said took out his rage, it made it seem like he beat him up or something. No, he shot this guy. He killed this guy. I'm saying this guy did not have a lot of like progression. He went from zero to 60. I mean, that's shocking. Right. Did he have any incidents of like violence towards people before this? This is the first one. This is the first one. This is like, he's a young guy too. He's like 22 years old at this point. Patrick is. Patrick is. And this guy is 19 that he shot. Okay. He picks him up. He shoots him immediately. And then not only does he shoot him, he fucks the corpse. Right. Which is also like, that is some escalation there. I mean, he has some issues. (laughs) Yes, does he? To put it mildly. He has a lot of issues. Uh, Damn. So then he, after he had sex with the corpse, he mutilated the body and dumped it off on the side of the highway. Patrick Kearney later returned to the place that he'd picked up the 19-year-old, and he picked up the hitchhiking victim's 16-year-old cousin who was there. Yes, because the 19-year-old that he had just killed, when he picked him up, he was there with his 16-year-old cousin. What is the place that he picked him up? Like a hangout? Yeah. Just like on the street? Yeah, like uh a hangout. Yeah, okay. And so he goes back, he finds this guy's 16-year-old cousin, and he's like, hey, you want to ride too? So like immediately almost yes. after. He's okay. like, I better pick up this guy now. Yeah. He picks him up 
and he murdered him too because he didn't want to leave any witnesses. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah. After that, in this period, this is still 1962, he also murdered an 18-year-old man named Mike. In 1963, Patrick was hired at Hughes Aircraft as an engineer, and this job paid really well, and Patrick was elated to have this opportunity. This was like his dream job, so he was like doing well at this point, right? And he's not killing at this point. This is like things are are going okay. He's being like semi-normal right now. And in 1966, David Hill divorced his wife and committed himself to Patrick. So Patrick's really excited about that. Things are going his way. Things are finally going Patrick's way. Just temporarily, though. Right. Okay? Well, I mean, the episode would be over. (laughs) And that was it. Yeah. And so he only killed those three. (laughs) So he moved back to L.A. and the couple moved into a place together in Culver City. In the spring of 1967, Patrick and Dave went down to Tijuana on vacation. And while they were there, they were invited to stay over with one of Dave's friends named George. One night, while George was sleeping, and Dave was sleeping as well, Patrick went into George's bedroom and shot him right between the eyes. What? Like, first of all, what a dick move. I mean... Shooting the guy whose house like you're allowed to stay at in Tijuana... And for what reason are we going to find out? Um, it's just Patrick being Patrick. Okay. Like Patrick has just like endless rage. So there was nothing like George, he thought George and Dave were flirting with each other or no, he's was just George like, also gay. I don't know. Although Patrick primarily went after other gay men. Uh-huh. That was like, that's weird though. Cause now Dave is going to probably be suspicious, <laughs> right? Like, well, this is the weird part. So this is the part that I really didn't understand is like, how did Dave not know about that? Because that's sort of like never brought up that like, because Dave was there. Right. And I mean, did, did they think that a, a robber came in? Like, did he think that? Or did he just go, oh, George is still sleeping. Let's go. Bye. Yeah. That's weird. I don't know how that all went down, but this is how yeah. it was reported. So he shoots George between the eyes while he's sleeping Then he drags George's body to the bathtub where he had sex with the corpse before dismembering him. Then Patrick skinned the body with an X-Acto knife. What? And cut the bullet from his head to ensure that the murder couldn't be traced back to him. The remains were then buried in George's own backyard. I mean, how deeply was Dave sleeping? (laughs) Right. How do you do all of this? How many tequila sunrises did this guy have? Truly, I mean, people do get wasted in Tijuana. So that's the only thing I can imagine that you would sleep through all of that. Like, right. How do you not walk in? Like, like you got, that seems like it takes a long time. I'm guessing. Yeah. Like, how do you not walk in to take a leak or something and, or hear something? And you see your boyfriend butchering someone in the bathtub. Jesus. And then he also buried him. Like burying someone takes a lot of energy. All of that is a lot of energy. Right. Jesus. So I guess what I assume is like he buried him in the middle of the night and then they woke up in the morning and it was like, oh, where's George? Oh, he went out to get, um, I don't know, breakfast tacos. Right. And so they just left without saying. Right. Okay. I don't know. That's That's crazy. That's what I'm assuming. Patrick ended up buying a new home in Redondo Beach. At this time, the couple was fighting frequently, and Patrick would often storm off and just go for these long drives in his Volkswagen Beetle after an argument. He'd be like, fuck you, Dave, I'm out of here. Yeah. And his favorite thing to do to unwind after a fight with his boyfriend was to go pick up men he didn't know and kill them. That was like how this guy blew off steam. Right. It is suspected that Patrick actually returned to Tijuana to kill other men during this time. One morning, Patrick woke up and he found a note that was left behind from Dave. Dave had left him again. I can't imagine yeah. it was a great relationship with is this Dave, guy. Is um, Dave about the same age as Patrick or older? He's a few years younger. Oh, he is. He's a few years younger. Oh, okay. And he's like the hot one in the relationship. Right. Like Patrick is this nerdy guy with these like thick rimmed glasses Mm -hmm. and Dave is like kind of hunky looking. Like he's a good looking guy. Nothing enraged Patrick Kearney more than being rejected. 
1971, Patrick Kearney spotted 13-year-old John Demchik standing on a street corner in Inglewood. Patrick offered him a ride. And when the boy got in the car, Patrick immediately shot him in the head. Patrick then drove south to the California-Mexico border to dump the body. The thing about Patrick is, like, Patrick is, like, what I think you would call a product killer. He just wants the dead body. Yeah. He doesn't want... He's not the process killer where he wants to drag it out and torture the torture them and torment them um, or, or stab them a bunch of times. Yeah. He, shoot, he, he, like he shoots to kill. It's very efficient. And he wants, he wants to have sex with the body afterwards. And he also want, ha, feels this sort of high when he's murdering these men. Yeah. Like, he's enacting... He doesn't all, want to deal with them alive. No, he, he doesn't. He kills them and then he, does what he wants. This is a total power play for mm-hmm. him. And he just wants to feel this, like, elation of having complete power over somebody to just snuff out their life, just like right. that, basically. Well, it's also a way of not having to deal with them fighting back right. or anything like exactly yeah. because he was a scrawny guy yeah. and they're not expecting something in the first few seconds but if you drag it out a bit they, they can might fight start you getting, off well they might start getting suspicious or what's going on like right yeah. in september of 1973 patrick picked up 17 year old james barwick who was hitchhiking in san diego Patrick shot James in the head multiple times and dumped his body in a dirt area off the side of San Pasquale Road. James was a transient who was familiar to the local police. And by so by the time like the he was discovered, the police could easily identify this kid right away. And this is the 70s, a lot of people are hitchhiking. Yeah. This is like prime time for serial killers. I mean, you can see why hitchhiking gets a bad rap. <laughs> like the 70s really just they, ended ended hitchhiking. It was for like all a time. bad PR time for hitchhiking. Yeah, totally. And everyone did it. That's the crazy thing. Yeah, so it was the perfect opportunity right. for people like this. People just did it. By the mid-70s, the bodies of young men alongside LA freeways were piling up. Like I said before, Patrick Kearney wasn't the only man responsible for this. At the time, two other freeway killers were still active, William Bonin and Randy Kraft. Patrick continued to pick up men, either hitchhikers or men that he met in bathhouses, and kill them, always with the gunshot behind the ear. But Patrick's methods of disposing the bodies became more and more refined as his body count climbed. He was now taking bodies home to drain them of their blood in the bathtub, dismembering them sometimes, stuffing the remains into industrial-strength trash bags before driving them out to the desert to dump them on the side of the highway. So his, like, his signatures, like, stayed pretty consistent the whole time. Like, there wasn't a ton of variations. And because he wasn't torturing these men before he was killing them, there wasn't, like, random, oh, this time this guy got tortured with this. or yeah this way or this was you know like uh one of them i think randy Kraft was the one who like he had that signature move right like he stuffed socks in the anus right um and were these men not being searched for for some reason or a lot of the men were not being searched for either because some of them were runaways because they were gay men they were young gay men or uh some of them were sex workers Uh Uh, uh there there are some like children that were abducted, right. that were reported as missing children. Yeah. But there were actually a lot of his victims were not identified for a long time. Okay, Some of the bodies he would dump out on the side of the highway in the desert. Some of the bodies were dumped behind canyons in LA. And sometimes he would even go to the landfill to dump these bodies in the trash bags amongst the other trash bags there. On August 24th, 1974... Five-year-old Ronald Dean Smith went missing. He was last seen playing at a park with a friend just a block away from his house. The two boys were playing in the sandbox at a crowded park on a Saturday afternoon. Ronald's friend later reported that the boys had gotten into a fight, so he went home, leaving leaving Ronald by himself. When Ronald didn't come home for dinner, police were called and immediately began searching the neighborhood. They spent the whole weekend going door-to-door looking for the five-year-old boy. A week later, there was still no sign of him. Ronald's mother, Joanne, made a tearful plea during a police press conference to whoever had her child to please return him. Ronald was missing without a trace for months. And And on October 13th, like two months later, basically, yeah, October 13th, it was about two months later, 
The body of a decomposed boy was found off the highway near Lake Elsinore, which is in Riverside County. A group of kids had been out collecting cans when they discovered the body. Ronald had been kept alive for two days, which was unusual for Patrick, but police had no suspect at the time. April 13th, 1975, Patrick picked up 21-year-old Albert Rivera in San Diego. He shot Albert in the head and then drove him all the way back to his house in Redondo. That is a long way, if you don't know. That's like at least a two-hour drive, right? Yeah. I mean, like I cannot believe the amount of time this guy is spending in his car driving bodies around. Yeah. And for what? I mean... So he was taking him back to his house to drain him? Or? Yeah, to like give it to, he would wash the bodies and then he had this whole ritual that he would right. do in the bathtub. Because that seems crazy to pick them up so far. Yeah. But I guess you can't do it too much by where you live. Right. Or, yeah. <laughs> hey, why hey. is everyone right around yeah. Patrick's house going missing? <laughs> I mean, there's like, I guess it's pros and cons right. like when you're a fucked up killer. Plus, he was always doing all these crimes when Dave Hill, his boyfriend, like Dave Hill was unemployed, so like he would have he could only do these crimes or like bring them back to his house at certain times. Like but when they're he not wasn't together there. anymore. No, he would come back. They were on again, off again. Oh, okay, okay. Sorry, I forgot to mention that. That's Dave's okay. Dave's back in the picture, by the way. Because he's unemployed, he probably needs a place to live. Yeah, right. He's like so. Oh. He's around still. Yes. Okay. He's like I'm gonna deal with Patrick. Okay. I guess poor Dave doesn't know anything. I'm still very suspicious about the guy in Tijuana, though. I'm suspicious. I mean, in general, like, we do kind of often blame the woman, right? The wife. Like, how could she not know? Right. So, I mean, I feel like I could say the same with Dave. That's true. Like, how could he not know? How does he not know with George? There must start being things that make you suspicious. Right. Even if you're like, is he cheating on? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, maybe you're not going to think it's murder. Right. But you must be suspicious of weird behaviors. Why were you in San Diego, Patrick? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Especially back in the day when there was no cell phones. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, someone's gone for hours where you can't reach them. Right. All the time. Right. And is he still working at this whatever airport? Yeah, and he has a full-time job. I just think that's like a lot of unaccounted time that would make you suspicious. I agree. And also, if you have a full-time job, but then you're spending all of your free time driving all over Southern California, when are you spending time with your boyfriend? I mean, maybe Dave is like, thank God he's fucking gone all the right. time. So I can just like, whatever, <laughs> lay around and watch TV all day. Like, that could be also like, he doesn't I mean, even ask questions because he doesn't fucking want him around. Like, I honestly believe that too, because yeah. I feel like Patrick was like really irritating to be around. Right. And I don't necessarily think he thought, oh, he's killing people, but he was probably just grateful he was fucking gone. Like, right. Doing whatever whatever he was doing, whatever weird Patrick things he was doing. So he takes Albert back to his house in Redondo, and there he had sex with the body and then dismembered him. Now this time, Patrick took extra care in wrapping and disposing of the body. Albert's remains were wrapped up in nylon ties and then double bagged with two industrial strength trash bags and then wrapped in an additional green kitchen trash bag and tied together with more nylon string. He's like getting really anal retentive about this wrapping job. Patrick then drove the body east of San Juan Capistrano and dumped it on the side of the 74 highway. Patrick Kearney's last victim of 1975 was 20-year-old Larry Jean Walters. Larry was murdered in Patrick's Redondo Beach home by gunshot wound to the head. His corp was... His corpse was sexually assaulted, and he was dismembered before being stuffed into trash bags and dumped at a faraway location. By this time, the police had dubbed Patrick the trash bag killer. Oh. So they were like, he's, the, he's a freeway killer, but he's also a trash bag killer. Right. And he's trash. And he's trash. I mean, I feel like we should call him the trash bag killer because he is fucking trash. Like, I agree. He is utter like, why trash. Why not differentiate between the other two? Like, right. Oh, you're so original. You're dumping bodies yeah. off the side of the highway like no one's ever thought of that before. Ugh. Come up with a new name, dumbass. Yeah. Beauty should be good for you. And that's why we're excited to tell you about Beauty Counter. Beauty Counter is a clean makeup and skincare brand that started in 2013, disrupting the beauty industry by shedding a light on the need for stronger ingredient regulations in the personal care products that we use daily. Today, Beauty Counter is the leading clean beauty brand creating innovative and high-performing products that are safer and cleaner than even their like-minded competitors. So what do we mean by clean? Over 1,800 questionable ingredients are never used in Beauty Counter's formulations. They call this their never list. 
You can learn more at beautycounter.com, where you're also going to want to check out their incredible products. Best of all, if you're a new customer and you order through March 15th, you'll get free shipping on your order of $100 or more when you use the code HOLLYWOOD. Once again, to get free shipping on your order of $100 or more, go to beautycounter.com and use the code HOLLYWOOD. As most of us have found out the hard way, getting into debt is easy, getting out of it is hard, especially if your credit score isn't great. Thankfully, now there's Upstart.com, the revolutionary lending platform that knows you're more than just your credit score and offers smarter interest rates to help you pay off high interest credit card debt. I know firsthand that there's nothing more frustrating than trying to pay something down and your payments are pretty much just paying off the interest. Upstart goes beyond the traditional credit score when assessing your credit worthiness. Upstart believes you're more than just your credit score. They believe in you. The best part? Once the loan is approved and accepted, most people get their funds the very next business day. Over 400,000 people have used Upstart to pay off credit cards or meet their financial goals. So free yourself from the burden of high-interest credit card debt by consolidating everything into one monthly payment with Upstart. See why Upstart is top-ranked in their category with a 4.9 out of 5 rating on Trustpilot and hurry to upstart.com slash Hollywood to find out how low your Upstart rate is. Checking your rate only takes a few minutes. That's upstart.com slash Hollywood. Serial killers, like we've said before, were very big in the 70s, and Patrick Kearney was a fanboy. He was very inspired by some of the day's biggest serial killers, For example, he followed the headlines about the Zodiac Killer, as well as our favorite cousin duo, the Hillside Stranglers. Oh. He was inspired by them as well. But his favorite serial killer was Dean Coral. Oh, damn. You know about Dean Coral, right? I do. That guy's a real piece of shit. He's a real piece of shit. Now he's Dean, the candy man, right? He's the candy man. Ugh, and he's I hate I hate him. I fucking hate him. He's out of Houston and he basically did horrible horrible things to at least 28 teen boys and young men from 1970 to 1973. And he also had some helpers. He did have helpers. He had and young boy one helpers. The, one of them killed him though, so that's the good part. <laughs> yeah, he was shot to death. <laughs> Uh, but he worked at a candy factory. Yeah. That's why they call him the candy man. That's a crazy story. That's what I actually didn't know that well until like the last few years. Same. So I think I maybe a last podcast did a show they on that. They did like a really extensive Yeah. So episode. you should check that out because I don't know that we would ever cover him. No, I don't think we would because it's Houston. Well, there's no movie based on him no. either. So you should listen to the last yeah, podcast. Yeah, listen to that episode if you want to know more about how disgusting and depraved Dean Coral is or was because he's dead. Good. Um, so Patrick was such a fan of Dean that he would keep newspaper clippings about him and like stash them in the house. It's like his tiger beat. Totally. Like, but because Ugh. he had a boyfriend, he couldn't put it on the wall. So he'd yeah. like put him in drawers and shit, yeah, but he hide it, but he like, what a cliche. Like he just had all these newspaper clippings. It's like, who even does that anymore? No, it's weird. In 1976, Patrick Kearney killed several more boys and young men, including Robert Benefil, age 17, Kenneth Buchanan, age 17, Oliver Molitor, age 13, mm. Larry Armadariz, age 15, Michael McGee, age 13, John Woods, age 23, and many, many others. So he had a big year in 1976. And he's doing more younger boys. He's doing more younger boys now. So he started, his youngest at the time, I mean, it, that would be his youngest, was the five-year-old boy that he right, abducted from the park. but now it's more 13. In early 1977, Patrick murdered 28-year-old Nikki Hernandez Jimenez and, four, and 24-year-old Arturo Ramos Marquez. And on April 6, 1977, 8-year-old Merle Chance was last seen riding his bike away from his home in Venice. Patrick spotted the boy and abducted him, brought him back to his apartment where he smothered him to death, which is a drastically different method of killing than everyone else. Like everyone else was, I think this is the only one that was not shot. So he, he suffocated this boy. He assaulted the corpse and Patrick drove all the way to the Angeles National Forest to dump the body, mm-hmm. which wasn't found until nine weeks later by hikers. 
That's always like the saddest sentence in like a story about a missing child. Like they were last seen riding their bike. Oh my like, God. It's, it's just, I always feel awful. like that's something you hear. Like someone just sees them riding their bike in the neighborhood. Right. It's like, like, hey. Like, yeah. Because what, who didn't ride their bike as a kid in the neighborhood? Right. Like. It's just such a sad sentence because you just know that's the last time anyone saw them. Like. it. It's really heartbreaking, especially because like I was going through a lot of papers, the old papers about this, and uh, you'd read about these boys and you'd find the articles when they were just missing persons. Right. And it was like, you know, two days after they were reported missing. And, yeah. and it's like, they're already dead at this point. They're knowing just, that now in hindsight, but reading yeah. these articles where the parents are like, hey, if I hate thinking of that when you see the parents begging for them to be returned and like they're after the fact, oh when my you know, God. it's just so horrible. It's awful. It's totally awful. Ugh. On March 18th, 1977, a man working in Temescal Canyon discovered an 80 gallon metal drum near a lemon grove. It is never a good idea when you discover a metal drum no. anywhere where you wouldn't normally find one. Right. Like nothing good comes out of that. Absolutely not. He opened the drum and inside was a headless dismembered body wrapped in plastic bags. The body was identified as 17-year-old high school student John LeMay. According to the coroner, the official cause of death was asphyxia. However, that could have been caused by a head wound, specifically a gunshot wound. Yeah. But because the head was missing, that was how they determined. They just okay. they they ruled it as asphyxia. Okay. Just but could have been by a gunshot wound. Now, this was the first time that a head was missing from a victim of the trash bag killer. John LeMay was last seen leaving a friend's house on March 13th in El Segundo, which is way far away from Temescal Canyon. John's friend said he last saw him at around 5.30 p.m. and that he said he was going to meet up with a guy named Dave that he had met at a gym. Dave lived in Redondo Beach, but Dave Hill wasn't home. Patrick Kearney was, though. So... He invited John in to watch TV, and when they got inside, Patrick shot John in the back of the head. So Patrick then stashed the body in the closet for a few days when Dave came home till he could get rid of it, till he could dispose okay. of it so Dave wouldn't know. When he was alone, he washed, dismembered, and stuffed the body parts into trash bags before dumping it far away into Mescal Canyon. But where was the head? Where was it? John LeMay's murder would give the police the break in the case that they had been waiting for. When questioning the victim's friends, they told police that John liked to hang out with these two guys in Redondo Beach named Pat and Dave. This tip ultimately led police to the Redondo Beach home of Patrick Kearney and his boyfriend, Dave Hill. Police arrived at the home, and they were both cooperative. Patrick and Dave invited the police in, and they confirmed that, yes, they knew John LeMay. So I so Dave Hill was like fucking this guy. Okay, basically this was like his side piece. Like they did know each other. Okay, Dave did know this guy John. So when he came over, it was to come fuck Dave. Yes, but Patrick Patrick just happened to be there. Patrick just happened to be there. Did Patrick know him? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay, I'm not sure that he. Because why were the friends saying Pat and Dave's? Oh yeah, you're right. He did know them then because it was yeah Pat and Dave's house. But he was. Not really friends with Patrick. No, he was fucking Dave. Okay. And Patrick obviously didn't know that, did he? I think he did. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. I think they actually had an open relationship, probably. But he probably didn't like it if it was happening at his house. Yeah. Yeah. Probably not. I mean, maybe Patrick joined in sometimes. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. So they invite, they let the police come in and ask them. And Patrick is pretending to be like really concerned. Like, oh my God, John LeMay. Like, I know him. That's so sad. Yeah. Oh my God, we can let, let us help you, officers, in any way we what can. can we do? And they're yeah. like, okay, well, you can let us take some carpet samples. <laughs> well, I mean, not everything. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. And basically, Patrick was like, really? You want to take samples? Well, I have to talk to my lawyer. Right. No. Yeah. So he reluctantly let them take some carpet fibers from the home. And the carpet fibers ended up matching the fibers that were found on the tape used to secure the body parts that were found in the trash bags in the drum where John LeMay's remains were found. And now police were like, we better get some more samples 
yeah. from these guys. So they came back and they were like, we need some pubic hair samples. Okay. And they gave them pubic hair really? samples. Yeah. Uh, they also obtained a sample from their white poodle. Oh. Which maybe This be- is a new character. Uh- <laughs> Dude, the poodle Dude, is like I'm a like I'm all of a sudden shocked, like thinking of the poodle witnessing all of this stuff. <laughs> like I'm picturing the stupid like poodle face popping up, like, like precious. Dom, do yeah, exactly. It's like so Buffalo Bill or right. something. Like this fucking dog. I like how I hate the dog now. It's like that dog's in on it too. <laughs> Fuck that poodle. <laughs> I just like that they looked at the poodle and they're like, "Well, that hair is kind of like pubic hair. We better <laughs> yeah. take that those samples too, just in case." And I'm like, "What color?" And now I have like a million questions about the poodle. As if the it poodle matters. was a white dog. Okay, so what, did they think the pubic hair was white? I'm I have no idea because I, yeah. they were both brown haired, right? And they're not old. No, so there's no they like were in grandpa's bush, like, like, like <laughs> grandpa's bush. So. They got these hair samples, and now all they needed to do was get a search warrant to like do a thorough search of right. the premises. At this point, they have enough suspicious yes. coincidences. So while the police were obtaining their search warrant, Patrick is in the house rummaging through his Dean Coral, you know, fan <laughs> I better club. Throw out my scrapbook. <laughs> yeah, he is. He did. He's like, I better get rid of all these newspaper clippings. So he right. dumps all of the clippings. I mean, just imagine flushing a sad him. Day for He's him. flushing him down yeah. the toilet like what's his name and ripping Goodfellas. them up and chewing yeah. them, <laughs> swallowing them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he's getting rid of all these newspaper clippings. Then immediately after getting rid of the newspaper clippings, he quits his job at the Hughes Aircraft, and then him and Dave fled to El Paso, Texas. Okay. I guess I'm imagining him going, Dave. I can't explain. There's no time to explain. We we have to go to El Paso. Come on, Suzette. <laughs> the poodle. Oh, yeah. Dude, the poodle's name was totally probably Suzette. Yeah. For the, everyone had to name their poodles French names back then. Right. It's like it had to happen. Right. I feel like... Fifi, Mimi, Suzette. That's very 70s. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I agree with that. So they bounce to Texas. So they look very suspicious now. This is like, what are you doing? Yeah. Dummy. Is Dave from Texas? He's right? from okay. Texas, yeah. yeah. He's from like Lubbock, I think. And when police entered the home of Patrick Kearney and Dave Hill, they found a bloody hacksaw, oh. a roll of nylon tape, which was the same kind used to tie up the body parts of John LeMay, and evidence of blood in the bathroom. I mean, it's surprising that he threw out the scrapbook, but not the hacksaw <laughs> and the tape, right? Like- that is the riddle. <laughs> that is the riddle of this basket. Yeah. I do not understand the thought process there because I feel like you could argue like you'd think you'd get rid of those things in the the bucket. Like do you know what I mean? Like right. not even keep them in your house. In, or in the um kettle what is it called? The barrel, whatever. The drum. The drum. Well, right. I guess he needed the hacksaw to dismember bodies. Right, and he didn't want to buy one. He didn't want to buy a new yeah. one. Right. Okay. Like why does this okay. guy come in here buying a new hacksaw all the time? Those are the kind of things, like not that I want killers to get away with it, but that drive me crazy. Because right. like you're going through all this effort and you don't <laughs> and get... then you do these lazy little things that get you busted. Like right. it's like infuriating. You need to think 180 IQ. I don't know, right. Patrick. Yeah, exactly. I don't know about that. You don't have uh, a lot of maybe common sense. No street smarts. Yeah. Luckily, I mean. Right. So police are like, All right, hey, yeah, wait a minute. And then they went and searched Patrick Kearney's office at Hughes Aircraft, and there they discovered a large stash of industrial strength trash bags. Oh. And they're like, we know this isn't just a throw out his lunch. The police are starting to put things together. Yes. The police, <laughs> the police are very smart. Um, now... The LA Times printed that they were looking for these two individuals on the run, Patrick okay. Kearney and Dave Hill. And I have to say, the covering of this case by the newspapers was absolutely fucking atrocious and offensive. Oh. Uh, and just very much a slice of 1977 America. Right. Like, Literally every headline was like two homosexuals on the run. Jeez. And like and then you would read the body of the article and it would be like 
they're avowed homosexuals. Everything was like, I Every love other, avowed. Like, that, that was the most egregious one that was like <laughs> avowed homosexual. Like we're, we're making a pact right. that we're homo. <laughs> like right. honestly, like I want to be avowed something right. deviant. And a, an avowed homosexual is like, yeah, I'm make I am choosing this and I'm choosing it for life and I'm taking a blood oath. Yeah. It's definitely blood oath and level. I'm swearing on a copy of Mahogany <laughs> that I am an avowed homosexual. <laughs> so, so, but like every article was like, and they were, and, and then they would describe the victims because a lot of the victims were gay men. So they would describe the victims as um, with a homosexual background, like it was an ethnicity. Yeah, right. Like... They what? were from Homoland. <laughs> like, what the hell? It was like, just like, it's just like, I think a lot of that, especially in the covering of a case like that, it's like wanting to believe that oh, normal people don't do that. It's right. homosexuals. Like, right. Do you know what I mean? Like, what people wanted to think it was something that someone who was deviant, and that's in quotes, was doing this kind right. of monstrous shit. Like a heterosexual person could not possibly be capable right. of this. And it's like this very shitty thing that they were doing this like dangerous homophobic thing that the press was doing basically demonizing yeah. gay pe- like all gay people right because like the victims deserved it right and like you know what i mean it was like this is what happens it's kind of like what people think with sex workers like well they're like out there exactly and, yeah. uh and i think also like how we've talked about women killers in the past they're also extra demonized because women aren't supposed to act that way right so it's even worse than if a man so you can get away with using like misogynic misogynistic and it's like language. hello straight white men are probably the most most likely to kill <laughs> That's that's never the one that's considered the worst. Like, right. Yeah. And it's just like, okay. So it was, it's always wild to like be researching a case and like see the narrative that the press was painting. Now, Dave Hill's family urged him and Patrick to turn themselves in. They saw these headlines and they're like, oh my God, turn yourselves in. What are you doing? And about a week later they did. Oh, they were like, we we're not cut, cut out to be on the run. On July 1st, 1977, Patrick Kearney and Dave Hill turned themselves into the Riverside Police Department. Patrick made a full confession to police pretty quickly. He told them that his boyfriend, Dave Hill, had nothing to do with any of this and that he had no knowledge of any of his crimes. Patrick always committed the murders when Dave was not there. I mean, except for the Tijuana one. Dave right. was like technically in the same room or right. in the house. But they weren't even probably looking for him in that case, right? They weren't looking for George. No, they weren't looking for a suspect. They weren't like, oh, you killed George in Tijuana. No, no. This is all yeah. stuff that I'm happened. I'm saying, yeah, they weren't even like. Right. But um, so both men were arrested, though, and held on $500,000 bond. Dave's mom, meanwhile, is freaking out. She told the paper in Lubbock, Texas, my David wouldn't do anything like that. And David's brother said, David would never hurt anybody. The charges against Dave Hill wound up being dropped and he was let go. Meanwhile, Patrick Kearney's confession allowed police to be able to link him to several bodies that had previously been unidentified. And every day in the papers, it was like the headline was like three new men linked to the trash bag killer. Okay. So there were all of these bodies that were now being linked to him like every day as he would as he did his confession Uh and they would find these bodies and be like, yeah, that's such and such. I always wonder how this works. Like, do they actually remember every single person or are the police saying, what about this body dumped here? Here's a picture of him. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy too. I did. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like if you're killing that many people, that's like a lot to remember. It is a lot to remember. Especially when you don't really know them. And they probably might have a similar look that you're always going for. Or- and he did primarily go after similar looking boys and men. He he primarily went after white blonde men. Uh, he did go after a few Latino men. Yeah. But that was like his... Well, he killed a lot of people too. So He did yeah. kill a lot of people. Um, there is the thing where serial killers have occasionally in the past like pumped up their numbers. Yeah. There are certain killers who have done that before. Right. But Patrick, I don't think that was the case. I think he really did kill this many people. Had the other two confessed at this point? Were, or were they busted? What other two? The other two guys, the other two freeway killers. Oh, um, 
Like, who, what's the chronology of their busting? Look, like, Desi, I did not go back through my old episodes. <laughs> that's a good question, though. That is a good question. Because I'm curious, like, who was first? Do you yeah, know what I mean? I don't remember. Because then I, it probably cleared up some of the other cases. Like, okay, that's right. not them. Um, okay, right. well, we'll look it up and post it. Yeah, we'll look it up and post it. Because it was this, like, I, this must have been so confusing. Because, like, it wasn't, like, in an isolated area either. It was all over Southern California. And all of them were all over. All of them were all over. And all of them were all, like, in a vicinity of a highway. Yeah. And they were all young men. And I think Randy Kraft was in Long Beach. Yes. So that's, like, a similar home base. They're both in the South Bay. Yeah. Yeah. Patrick ended up confessing to 28 murders. He, which is, like, the same amount as Dean Coral. Okay. I don't know if he planned that. But Probably, that's how yeah. many he killed. He actually, they discovered that he actually ended up killing like up to 43. Yeah, because I was going to say, I feel like you told about 43. Like I wasn't counting. That's it how seemed many, like a lot. That's how he, many he confessed to initially. But like he was ended up being linked to like even more than that. Right. So he told police that he killed because it excited him and gave him a feeling of dominance. And yes, he was acting out this revenge fantasy that he had. Like uh-huh. he was still carrying all this bullshit he had from his childhood. Are his parents alive still? Uh, I don't know. His parents are so never really are like, like a part of his life. Yeah. Although Patrick confessed to 28 murders, he was only charged with three. The murder of Albert Rivera, age 21, Arturo Marquez, age 24, and John LeMay, age, age 17. And on December 21st, 1977, Patrick Kearney pled guilty and was sentenced to life in prison. Now, on February, in February of 1978, police had enough evidence to charge Patrick with 18 additional murders. So he was charged with those murders, even though he was already life sentence. Life yeah. sentence. And he pled guilty to all 18. And he did that willingly. Like he did not want to go through a trial. He just wanted to get it over with. Really? Yes. Against the wishes of his defense attorney. His right. defense attorney was like, we're pleading not guilty. Right. And he's yeah. like, Oh, we're pleading guilty. It's, it, he's just like, the jig is up. <laughs> like He I, literally just gave up. It's weird. Like he like did a half ass attempt at like trying to get away. Uh huh. But then he was like, okay, I guess we'll turn our, we're not cut out. To yeah. Be on it's kind of like uh, to like, yeah, I mean, he meant it when he's like, "We're not. I'm not meant to be on the run." It's like, like people who, I mean, like I can respect that. You know your limitations about something. It's like I was thinking I was in New York this weekend, and it's like I love New York, but I'm not cut out to live here, and I know that about myself. I can't make it here. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can I make it anywhere? I don't know. I don't know. I can't make <laughs> it. Definitely in New York. not here. <laughs> I love it, but I can't make it there. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of fascinating to me because these people are such narcissists. Like, most of them do think that they can get away with it still. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like, so it is unusual to me, the ones who kind of just confess and are like, oh, you know, that's it. Let's move on to the next level, like the next phase of right. my life. Like, Yeah, I I feel like Patrick Kearney's an interesting guy because, like, besides him being, like, a grisly murderer, like, he had a very, like, boring life. Yeah. Like, he didn't have, like, dude, he needed some hobbies. Also, it doesn't really seem like he wanted notoriety. No, because he wasn't, like, taunting the police. Like, like the, you could say the BTK, BTK had a boring life also, like, a just a, but you know, whatever. But this was his fantasy. But he, like, really, you know, was talking to the press and wanted to come up with his name, like, whereas Patrick Kearney just seemed like... It was, like, a personal vendetta he It's his personal to, like, thing. He didn't yeah. need to get attention for it. In fact, when he finally got arrested, he didn't even want the attention of a trial. Like yeah. he was like, oh, I don't want to do that. Like, like I was trying to find interesting quotes from this guy and he was like, there was nothing. He's like, yeah, I killed because I was like angry and it was like fun for me because like, he's like, yeah, I'm just a piece of shit. It's like, yeah, you are just a fucking piece of shit. Yeah. That's weird. You didn't even write any bad poetry, Patrick. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But he is still alive. So he's, he's in, in prison in California. And what happened to Dave? Uh, Dave was probably never trusted another man after that. I don't right. know. He probably like didn't go on a so few he didn't dates write a for book, a while. Like I don't know. I mean, like I I assume what I assume in these situations is like he probably changed his name. Yeah, and like just tried to live a, some semblance of a normal life. I didn't see anything that happened to Dave Hill. I think like he was probably. I mean, and who knows? And who knows what he? That's a good point. Who knows what he knows about George? And I don't want to speculate just because I. 
like who knows? I who knows? You know, right? Um, this guy could just be trying to live like a I life. I mean, I feel like he must not have known anything, or he would not have gone back. I mean, yeah. I mean, Dave. There was no, no weird things ever reported about Dave. Yeah, like he. So he definitely just disappeared. Yeah. I mean, I can see why. Yeah. He wasn't going to stick around and like be Patrick's pen pal. Yeah. You know? Um, so then there's nothing from Patrick in these past 30 years or whatever. He did like actually end up like filing appeals and stuff and like tried to get out on parole. But that the, the court stuff with this was so complicated just because it happened in so many different counties. Yeah. Like San Diego County, Riverside County, LA County. It was really difficult. Like it would have... Look, I just did not have a lot of time to research this case this weekend because I was traveling, but like you can go look it up, like the information's there. But there was like a lot of like sometimes it was difficult to discern, like, well, which chart, like, which is this from, like, which trial right. is this I'm from? I'm more curious why he wanted to get out all of a sudden. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I guess, does he think he's cured? Like, what? I don't know because like there was an article I read where he was like, I retract my confession. Okay. So he did try to retract what yes. he said. Yeah. Like he was like going back and forth. Like he actually pled not guilty at one point, like before okay. his sentencing. And then he like retracted that and he's like, ah, I'm pleading guilty. Okay. Weird. Yeah. But that's Patrick Kearney. That's the final freeway killer of the 1970s. At least like the three famous ones. Right. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know about him. Yeah. I, I mean, I knew all their names. Yeah. Same. Uh, yeah, uh, that's all I got for that. Okay, cool. So I guess um, go to our Instagram. Hollywood yeah, Crime Scene. I'll post pictures post of some him. pictures, and then you can join the Facebook group yeah. if you want. Hollywood Crime Scene Friends. Um, and then we did have the poll for our anniversary. It's our hundredth an- episode. You know what I realized? Week? I'm a dumbass. Okay. Our anniversary is next week. Okay. But our hundredth episode is the week after. <laughs> So I decided maybe I'll do the second best for our 100th episode and you do the first best for our anniversary oh, or okay. the, whatever wins the poll. Okay. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. The 100th episode isn't until the following week because this is episode 98 and then the, and then oh, the anniversary. How do we mess that up? Because we're stupid. Oh, okay. Thanks. <laughs> okay. I mean, I did think it was too convenient that they were both the same I mean, episode. but it is pretty similar. Right. I, I mean, we can was, do whatever we want. Yeah. I mean, no one's going to sue us. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, and I hope everyone enjoyed my banana split picture that I oh, posted yeah. on Facebook. If you join our Facebook group, like I just, I think you should join it so you could see the picture of the banana split I ate last night on the Facebook page. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's that. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>